And if you would go to uh, Acts chapter two, stand to your feet, and I would like to bring you a message today in our Who We Are series that is really so big, it's the answer to the question why we're called Greenhouse, and in fact, why we changed the name of our church from one name to be the name Greenhouse. Today really answers that question. But we've been in a series that's describing really the core of who we are. And so we have these things called fluencies. And today is a fluency that is just very, very important. We're going to go to Acts 2 in a minute, but I'm going to read you from Matthew 16 first. And Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 18, Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Te digo que tú eres Pedro, y sobre esta piedra edificaré. I'm going to edify mi iglesia. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I'm going to shape, and I want to talk today about this question, what is the church? What is church? Because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He didn't say the gates of Hades will not prevail against a nonprofit organization. He did not say the gates of hell will not prevail against a not an NGO. He did not say the gates of hell will not prevail against a building where people sing songs to Jesus. He said, I will build my church, my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. What is the church, because apparently, according to Jesus, everything on this planet is going to be perishable. It's going to be defeatable, except for this one thing, which is called the church. To the extent that what we do is church, we're indestructible. But when we veer from that, we're quite destructible, as our lives have proven. Correct? What is the church? Let's go there. Jesus, help. Build your church. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's talk about the church. When I was just a kid, I went to Sunday school. Who's ever heard of Sunday school? They taught us this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. See all the people. Is the church a building? Nah. Is the church a place? Nah. What is the church? To which some people say, well, the church is God's people. Well, I saw some of God's people at a Starbucks gossiping the other day. Is that church? Nah. What about if some people get together and they have a little concert and they sing songs? Well, if, if, as long as they're singing songs to Jesus, is, is that the church? If it's kind of like, you know, Beyonce in the Bible, is that church? Nah. Is, is it church if, if we're just doing some good work? What is it that makes something the church? Last year, PBS did a special on the black church. Fascinating mini-series that they did. I was thinking and reading a lot about what the church is and what it's not. You can make an argument that the most effective movement, at least in the United States of America in the 20th century, was the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement was not led from a social media platform. The civil rights movement was led from pulpits in churches where people preached Jesus. Yeah. 
It's interesting when you're watching the realities of how the world got changed, the, the likes of Malcolm X often criticized the black church as being those that were acquiescing to the powers that be and, and being maintainers of the status quo, and yet the evidence just doesn't hold that up. I was reading an article from the Harvard Gazette that was describing the, the African-American church experience throughout all of American history because it said the church was not just the place of worship, which was interesting because part of the accusation against it was you got these people like the, the that are going in like like a Marxist might say, and, and they're getting into religion, which is the opiate of the masses, and, and they lull themselves by singing songs to lull them into complacency to do nothing about the real world. And yet the evidence of at least the black church was one that yet yes they did, and according to the Harvard Gazette, the, the church was the place where people did not just worship, but they found their worship and their community and their activism in mission to go change the world. I said, how interesting that the Harvard Gazette would mention the words worship and community and mission. Worship and community and mission. It's what made the black church the black church. It's what made the early church the early church. Worship and community and mission. When we go to the book of Acts, where I ask you to turn, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts where they worshiped. Everyone say worship. They broke their bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Everyone say community. Praising God, verse 47, and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you say Mission. Acts chapter 4, same book of the Bible. This is the book of Acts written by Dr. Luke. This is the book of Luke part 2. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. It'd probably be better to be called the Acts of Jesus in his people or Jesus in the Holy Spirit because the book begins by saying, I wrote you an account previously, the Gospel of Luke, which was of all that Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts is what Jesus has continued to do and teach. We are supposed to be book of Acts people that are continuing to do what Jesus was doing and teaching in the world. In Acts chapter 4 now we come and it says this, in verse 32, and all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they, they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I dream of this. Not just his work, his, his grace was so powerfully at work in the pastors up on stage or in some of the chosen few, but his grace was powerfully at work in all of them. That's you. Look at someone near you. Say, yeah. If you're online, just type, oh yeah. The Book of Acts church was not a perfect church, but they were a living church. They were not perfect, but they were potent. They were not perfect, but they were thriving. It was not a perfect church, but it was a church that, in our microchurch, some of our members will say they, they made no small disturbance wherever they went. The church is supposed to be making no small disturbance wherever we go, whether we are in the church house or the schoolhouse or the boardroom or educational sphere or in the medical sphere, that everywhere we go, we make a kingdom of heaven disturbance. 
or as some would say in the civil rights movement, we make some good trouble. The problem I'm going to try to address today is a problem of an incomplete church. I went to a restaurant a while back that I loved, and I ordered the dish that I loved, and they brought me the dish that I love, and I began to eat the dish that I love, and I did not love it. I asked the waitress, what meaneth this? She said, well, what's the problem? I said, well, this does not taste like the dish is supposed to taste. To which she says, well, we've had a change of ownership and there's been a change of recipes. To which I said, fire the owner and change the recipe. I want my dish back. And I sometimes look at what's going on in the church, especially over these last three or four years and when we see a pandemic that has shaken the world to the roots and it begs the question, is it possible that God has allowed a shaking because he says, I want the original owner and I want the original recipe back for my church. Well, what was the original recipe? I think the black church got it. I think the early church got it. When there is worship and there is community and there is mission, that is the church. It's, it's not just one, and the danger is always to do one of them. Like some of us love worship, and some of us love community, and some of us love mission. I do, what I'm letting you know is, if all you are is a missionary, that's not the church. If all you are is a brother or sister in the Lord, that's not the church. If all you are is a worshiper, that's not what makes a church. When there's worship, and when there's community, and when there's mission, bam, now it's the church. Which means... 40% of American churches last year did not, that's evangelical churches, did not have a single convert. If the Lord is adding no numbers to their, to the, if there's no people being added to their role of people that are believing, if there's no mission happening, it begs the question, is it even a church if no one's being added to the Lord? Or sometimes you've got someone that's really into mission and they're very, very evangelistic or very missional or very justice-oriented, but they do nothing for, for in, engaging the brothers and sisters to grow close or they do not worship the living God. If all you get is the, is the community or all you get is the worship or all you get is the mission, that's not church. The way we describe it is with these colors that the, our, our worship is yellow. We call this our relationship with God to love the Lord our God. And we call this yellow, we call this worship. This is, this is that relationship that we have with God, that we, that we seek God. But we don't just seek God. We move into community. We've got, we, we, we seek each other. This is the blue, the blue of our relationship with people. And, and greenhouse, the reason we're called greenhouse is we take the yellow of our relationship with God, the blue of our relationship with God's people, that's community. And then the other blue, which is, is mission. And when we take the, the, the mission and the community and the worship, you're not called to live in the yellow. You're not called to live in the blue. You're called to live in the green. The world gets changed when we live in the green. This is why we're called greenhouse. Many of you have asked me, why are we called greenhouse? Does it have something to do with the herb? Not this herb, that herb. When people are kind of like, hey man, I got a good herb. No, we got the best herb. Completely organic, 100% authentic. <laughs> so, so what is church? Here's a, I, I believe here's a very good definition of church. Church is the worshiping community on mission. The worshiping community on mission, which is why I'd sort of like it even as a church, if I were to ask one of you, hey, yo, hey, where do you live? And if you're like, well, I live in, in Gainesville. And then I'm like, no, no, where do you live? I don't want you to live in the yellow. I don't want you to live in the blue. I want you to live in the green. Hey, hey Victoria, where do you live? 
in the green. Hey, hey, greenhouse, where do y'all live? That's where I want us to live, is in the green. So how do we get there? Let's talk about it. Number one, we get there by devoting ourselves to worship, by loving God in worship. Everyone say, amar. Say, amore. Love the Lord your God. I just read you Acts chapter four. A little bit earlier, Peter and John were, they were taken custody and they'd gotten arrested, but then they got released. In verse 24, it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices in prayer to God and they said, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And they begin to, to pray. They get out and their immediate move is to worship. The first move is to worship. We are by nature worshipers. I spend too much time loving sports. I like sports. I'm excited about the Super Bowl. I'm rooting for Philadelphia. I like Jalen Hurts. I think he's got a very cool story. I think I also saw that he had like a cross on his face. So I'm like, I, we're pulling for you. Also just had a cool story. Got benched, still, you know, in, at, at Alabama. Ends up still making it to the NFL. Now he's in the, anyway. So uh, Lord, we all agree. <laughs> that your will would be done. And our preference is that your will would be Philadelphia. Because it's the city of brotherly love. I like sports. I was listening to sports talk radio, though, and this guy said, oh, I live for football season. I'm like, oh, I like football season. I enjoy football season. But to live for football season is setting you up for a lot of disappointment. Because no matter who your team is, at some point, they're gonna break your heart. When a parent worships the ground their children walk on, oh, no, 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 love your kids, but don't love, worship, adore your kids. Because when you begin to worship your kids, you begin to twist your kids into something they were never meant to be. Like, like your job, enjoy your job, be faithful to your job, but don't worship your career, don't worship your school, don't worship your team. But scripture is clear that we will either worship the uncreated God, but because by nature you are a worshiper, you can't help it. You wear t-shirts to show your allegiance. We make sacrifices to show our allegiance. We, wor we worship without saying, we don't use the word worship, but we worship all the time. We sing our songs, we have our chants, we post things on social media. We have the stuff, we, we wear our tribal stuff, we sing our tribal songs because we are by nature worshipers. What I'm letting you know is there is only one being in the universe that's worthy of your worship and his name is God Almighty. The church is the place where we are supposed to get lined up on a regular basis that it's not about us, it's not about Greenhouse, the name of Greenhouse can perish, the name of Pats can perish, but the name of Jesus Christ be praised forever and ever and ever. That God is the center, that God is the focus, that God is the object of our worship, that he is the subject of our deepest inquiry and, and, and wonderment, that God is the center of what must take place. So worship means, at some fundamental level, worship means that God is the priority. Now, I'm, I want to say this because I, I'm, I'm going to come hard for a moment here. 
Churches go astray when churches say, hey, we're just all about people. We will get to people. We must love people. We must love the poor. We must love the afflicted. We must love the oppressed. We must stand with those that have no one to stand for them. We must rise up to speak for righteousness and justice. We must. But if we have not first gone yellow, when we go blue, our blue is always a warped blue. If we have not first gone vertical, to God, when we go horizontally to people, our horizontal mission and community always get twisted when they have not first been sanctified and cleansed in the beauty of our worship. Worship comes first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God is to be first. Hear, O Israel, this is what the Lord says. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Jesus, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God. The second is like it, but the second is the second, and the first is the first, and the first is to love the Lord your God with all. We devote ourselves to God. I, I think about Acts 13 in verse 2. It describes this early church. They were about to send out missionaries. And as they were, it says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for me. This is like the great missionary journey that's going to turn the world upside down. What's interesting is they're about to go minister to the world. But before they minister to the world, they first minister to God. In Revelation chapter one, it says about us, and this is part of your identity if you belong to Jesus, that if you're kind of wondering, well, what does the Bible say about me? In Revelation chapter one, it tells you something it says about you. And part of how it describes you is that you're part of a kingdom. And it calls you, it uses this word priest. In Revelation chapter one, verse five, it says, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us, you are loved and has freed us, you are freed from our sins by his blood and he's made us to be a kingdom and priests to God. Church, check this out. At some level, every believer, not just the professional clergy, all you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you should show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priesthood. All of, at some level, all of us are priests. All, when you start to follow Jesus, you become a priest. Everyone say sacerdote. You become a priest of God. But watch, I am not just a priest to y'all. I'm a priest to him. Church, you, you have to catch this. You have to catch this. If some of you feel called to be missionaries, yes, we want you to go minister to the world. But watch, before your ministry to the world will have any potency, you first need to minister to him. He gets the first ministry. This is why when I, when I started to follow Jesus, I began tithing. Tithing is where the first 10% of your, your income will, will go to God. And I've heard people say over the years, the things like, well, I just give my tithe to the poor. And I'm like, um, 
No, no, no. The part of the point of a tithe is it's a reminder. Yes, go help the poor. Yes, go help single moms. Yes, go help your friend. Yes, go take people to dinner. Yes, go pay, take people to lunch. Yes, go be generous and all those things. But the tithe was part of the way that God reminded us, before you minister to humans, first minister to me. And if you will seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and my agendas and my priorities, all these other things will be added unto you. I'm not saying that to make a dogmatic statement about tithing. I rarely make big statements about tithing. What I'm telling you is I have found that when I go next year, for example, we're going to Israel. And I was in a conversation with the, Israel, the, the group. If any of you want to start praying about that, right as soon as Passover is done, next, next year, we're going to take a trip to, to Israel. And they're making the plans. And there's a lot that happens on an Israeli trip. And, and it's a very packed schedule and all this kind of thing. And, and I told them, I said, hey, this is good. But we're going to have to take something off the schedule here because I can tell you, when we go on this trip, the first thing we're going to do every day is seek the Lord. We're not getting up at five in the morning and having no time with Jesus and then go look at the land where Jesus did all these marvels. We want to be with the Jesus that we're going to be talking about when we're in the Holy Land. I like the Holy Land, but I love the Holy God, and I got to make time for the Holy God to even appreciate the Holy Land. They're like, well, sir, well, then that's a problem because you either need to add more days, or you have to take something off the schedule. I'm like, listen, I'll tell you what's not coming off the schedule God. They're like, ah, are you sure? I'm like, no, I'm positive. I'm positive. I don't want, last thing you want to do is travel across the world with a bunch of people walking in the flesh all day. You, you're going to go up to the Mount of Beatitudes where you get to see where Jesus spoke the greatest sermon ever preached and you don't want to first be with him, let him tenderize your heart, get in his presence and then let the Lord show up. Church, the best thing we got going for us is the presence of God. That's the best thing we have in our church. I long for his presence. Listen, even when we come, like, listen, I, I want you to be happy. I want you to like what we're doing. And I want you to like my preaching. I want you to like our songs. But do you know who I really want to like what we do at Greenhouse? I want him liking what we're doing. Listen, man, church, I want people walking through those doors and feeling welcomed. I want people to come in and be like, I love it when like someone recently told me, man, I, I felt so loved when I came to your church. It was so friendly. I'm glad a new person was like, man, I had like five different people greet me. Someone asked me to sit with them. It was a that was a real blessing. And by the way, God bless you for doing that. But I got to tell you this. Not only do I want homo sapiens feeling welcomed in this gathering. I want the Holy Spirit knowing you are welcome in this place. And there's a danger in churches to be so conscious of pleasing people that we forgot we got to please the Lord. We got to please the Lord. Number one, we, we devote ourselves in worship. Number two, we devote ourselves to community. This is, this is where we, we not only do we do things like when it says in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine that's the Bible and the prayers. That, that we devote ourselves, like that, that our time within the word of God and prayer is, is increasing. That if you haven't joined us yet, I've announced last week that, that we're really looking at a two-year period of like doing a Bible literacy program. You give us two years of your life, we're gonna get you literate and loving the Bible. 
Okay, that's part of our worship. But then from there, we're gonna move into community where it says they devoted themselves, the apostles' doctrine, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Or in Acts 4, when it says that, it says with great power, they, they gave testimony, but great grace was on them all. There was not a needy person among them. And the believers were all in one mind, in one soul, in one heart. Acts chapter two says, when, when, this was, when they were all getting together in this 46 and 47, it says about them, um, every day they, continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke their bread in their homes. They would eat together with glad and sincere hearts. One of my heroes is Dr. John Perkins, great civil rights activist of the last 50 years. And I just read one of his books at one point. He says, uh, anybody that wants is welcome at my dinner table. I have a Bible study every Tuesday morning and anyone that wants to come can come sit at the table with me and do a Bible study if you're willing to get there at 5.30. So I got on a plane, I flew up to Jackson, Mississippi, got a hotel, got up at 4.30 in the morning and I drove over to his house. And he lets me in where he's having this Bible study. He says, oh, what's this white boy doing in my, my dinner table? And I said, well, you wrote a book and everyone's ready. He said, no, you're totally welcome. He said, I'm thrilled you're here. And we struck up a friendship where he's just been a godsend to my life and like a spiritual father and a mentor and a challenge. But every, I was there at the beginning of the year and I was sitting there at that same table, breaking bread, eating food. And, and he says, Mike, we need each other. We need each other. One of the things I have disliked the most about the pandemic has been and listen, I want to be careful with what I'm saying here. I'm not against anyone wearing a mask for like, even now, some, someone's got a flu, they go out in public. I'm, is anyone else appreciative people with flus now wear masks? It's like, thank God for that, right? One of the bummers though has been, I was with someone recently and we were at a, at a, a, a wedding and we were having a, at the wedding reception. It was their first meal with other people since the pandemic began. You were not meant to stay masked for this long. You were not meant to not break bread for two and a half years. You were not meant to not take off the mask, take out a rib. Like, I mean, like my wife, when my wife eats chicken, like, like I eat chicken and, and my wife's from Puerto Rico. She said, oh, Michael, give me that bone. I mean, I was done five minutes ago and Ruthie's still like. I'm like, Ruthie, there's nothing left. She breaks the bone. She says, you never drank the marrow out of a bone. I'm like. She's like, this is a homemade bone broth right now. I'm like. There, there's something, you get to know, so like, I mean, I saw her virtuous self at church with her makeup on. I remember the first time I saw her. I was like, you know, you want to you wanna know somebody? Watch him eating those ribs. I mean... I, I, there's nothing like a dignified man that's got barbecue sauce in the top of his hair, in his bald spots, dripping down. I mean, it's like, there's something good about breaking bread with people. 
There's some things that don't seem to come out in a text thread. Hey, you hurt my feelings. Sorry that you were offended. You know, text threads don't quite do what's sitting down at a meal and saying, you know what, why don't we break bread? Let's have a meal. Let, let, me, let me cook for you. When, when my wife cooks chicken and rice and maduros, arroz con habichuela, arroz con chuletas, arroz con pollo, arroz con todo el mundo, when she makes... I, you know, even if you were mad, you go to like a Puerto Rican's house, you start eating, you ever get some like good soul food, you're like, mmm. Someone makes you a good meal. I, I, not, not Wendy's. I'm not, I'm not putting Wendy's down. I'm saying there's something about someone that just dignified you by saying, I must eat at your table. The early church, they devoted themselves to community. I've talked to people that say, Mike, nobody knows how alone I am. Nobody knows how tempted I am. Nobody knows how isolated I am. No one knows how sad I am. No one knows how angry I am. Nobody knows how my kids hate me, how my secrets are eating at me, how my bitterness is rotting my bones. No one knows how much I'm hurting. Who knows you? Who knows your cycles and temptations and struggles and anger and bitterness? Because it's not good for a man to be alone. That's not talking about marriage. That's talking about humanity. It's, it's, it's not good. They devoted, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. They were eating their bread with glad and sincere hearts. Man, I love church, but the danger of all this is that we, we're, we're wearing holy clothes and you've got unholy cologne and holy lipstick and, and you've got your holy answers. How are you? I'm blessed. How are you? I'm blessed. Too blessed to be stressed. How are you? Oh, I'm, oh you're wonderful. Wonderful. You know, how, how is everything? Oh, it's glorious glorious. What about when it's inglorious, unwonderful, and horrible? Like, like, where do you go? Where do you go with that? You know, I was in microchurch this week, and part of what I, I, I loved about it was there was, like, even this moment we were going to kind of move into one thing, but, but before it went into, like, the agenda, it got real. Like, even before we could, it got real. When does it get real? Where does it get real? Who for you? Where do you go? Like, like one man that I know that was in, a, in another city, a guy that was in ministry in another city, and he picks up his phone, he called one of his best friends and says, hey, I need you to get up here immediately. I'm about to commit adultery. And everyone's like, oh, what? Have, how, how many fallen ministers do we need to be convinced of humans are human and they can blow it? I mean, I'm telling y'all, y'all pray for your pastor. When it's like, listen, by all means, man, you said, I loved it when I was at the gym one day and, and someone came up like, hey, Pastor Mike, I didn't like how you were hugging that woman in the gym. And she's like, um, I'm his daughter. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I felt so loved that someone in our church is like, wait, 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 what's going on here? Please do that. Please. Mike, do you want us to trust you? I want us to trust Jesus. I want us to trust Jesus, and I want all of us praying for all of us, because if you're like me, we got feet of clay. I need y'all, and I need Jesus to finish the race that I'm on, and so do you. I also want us to get to the place that, that when you are in a pit, 
that when you're in that pit, you're not like, oh, I better not tell anyone because everyone's going to go, oh, what? Because the reality is you've been in one and 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 you've been in one. and you've been... The church is supposed to be the place where the masks come off and we're like, this is who I am. This is where I am. And I know it's not easy, and I know it may disappoint someone sometimes. It's like, whoa, you seem really angry. Yeah, I'm really ticked. I'm going to clean the language up, right? Yeah. I'm, who can you go tell when you're so angry? Or I just feel like everyone's forgotten me. Church, we're going to talk about mission here in a second, but I got to tell you, if we don't get community right, What's going to happen is when God wants to save people, everyone's going to be like, whoa, 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 no new people. We don't want new people because we can't take new people because, because I'm not stitched in. I'm not, I, I don't have my place. My needs aren't getting met. And, and, like, and I get it. People now, even in our church, like, oh, Mike, we don't want to be in one of those big churches. I get it, man. I'm in like a mega family. We have eight kids. It's like a mega family, you know? And there's some times when we lose one of our kids and, and I'm tempted to be like, well, you know, we don't want to be all about numbers. We still have seven out of eight kids. <laughs> hey, we didn't know who wants to be in a big family because it's so easy to get forgotten. The answer is not go get rid of some of your kids. The answer is take care of all your kids. But church, some of his kids are still outside the doors. And we've got to meet each other's needs because if we don't, we're going to go selfish. And I see churches, I see microchurches, I see people, I see families do this all the time. What? Ruthie's pregnant again? Oh. And who knows? Maybe today could be the day she gets pregnant again. <laughs> Lord, speak to her. Speak to her. I just want one more. My favorite number is nine. Let's go back to the Bible now. <laughs> Acts 4.32 says, All the believers were one heart and mind. One heart and mind. You know what that means? That means it's not just people that go to greenhouse. Todos los creyentes. All the believers. Hey, church, if someone loves Jesus and they're in some other church, that's our people. That's our tribe. That's our people. That's our team. I never want to hear anybody making statements about, and, and, and we're in this weird moment. The pandemic has caused so many people to, people aren't throwing rocks a lot, but we're throwing lots of shade. We've got shade on this expression and shade on that expression. And, and this church is too loud and this church is too soft. And, and that, that worship style is this and that worship style is that. I hear people, all these people throwing all this shade on, on you know, whether it's liturgical or charismatic, whether it's wokeism or anti-wokeism. Can we stop? throwing shade and just lift up the name of Jesus? Can, can we just go ahead and say, wait a minute, Jesus, if they love you, they're on our team. Because the enemy loves when the special teams unit and the offense and the defense are all divided because now you can beat the team. And, and, and with all due respect, the team's been getting beaten for a little while here. Like our team in America, at least, has been quite beaten down. It's time for the church to rise up again. Can we go ahead and say, Lord, we hear what you've been doing, shaking us up during this pandemic. And we're going to say, you know what? We repent. We hear you. And we want to get to that place again where all the believers are of one heart, mind, and soul. I want, 
I long for the church in Gainesville to be supremely blessed by what we do, that we would be an agent of unity and blessing that we say, God, whether they're from a Baptist church, Church of God in Christ, uh, Church of Christ, Church of God, non-denominational, whatever they are, we bless them, we love them, Lord, use them, Lord, pour out your spirit upon them because the biggest church in town is the devil's and he's our competition. But, but part of this happens, though, it says the full body, they, they, they were together. They, they, were, they were together. And, and let me just get honest. The dang, this all sounds good until you try it. And then you try it and someone hurts you. And then a pandemic comes. And when the pandemic comes, you can't see everybody. And then you can't reconcile. And then everyone's on edge. And everyone's been freaking out. And everyone's anxious. And everybody's triggered. All, but can we just say, we're all triggered. We're all traumatized. All of us. I'm not making light of it. I'm saying it's all true. It's 100% true. We are. It's real. And what happens is the enemy knows what he's doing to get us that when we need to draw near, instead we push away. And in past ages, we remembered that we've actually got what's called the ministry of reconciliation. And we said, stop being surprised when it requires anointing for reconciliation to bring reconciliation. But what's happened now is we're like, you know what? I'm dead to you. I'm dead to you. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I'm throwing shade on you. I'm against you. I'm going to have an Instagram post about this. I'm going to have an Instagram post about that, whatever it is. And what we've got to do is say, wait a minute. We need the community of, we need again for the body to come together. What is the church? It's the worshiping community. It's the worshiping community. People are going to, they're going to fail you. And they're going to hurt you. And they're going to disappoint you. And they're, going, and they're going to let you down. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying that we follow the one. And you're like, but Mike, I've been scarred. Look to the one whose hands are forever scarred. Because we follow the one who every time he, his hands are open with a big reminder, I've been scarred for this community. I'm going to say one more thing. No one is surprised when 35 to 50 year old white men hang out with 35 to 50 year old white men. No one's surprised when 25 to 32 year old black women hang out with 25 to 30 year old, 30 year old black women. No one is surprised when, you know, 17 year olds hang out with 17 year olds that think exactly like them. No one is surprised when people go to church or people hang out with people that act like them, vote like them, talk like them, and came from the same place they came. What people cannot explain is when people that have such diversity of backdrops and backgrounds and cultures and preferences, despite their preferences, cultures, hurts, and disappointments, they still choose to take up their cross and follow the one who was scarred to make this community one. And when you're reading Ephesians, I don't want to get too theological, but I'm just going to say it real fast. When you read Ephesians, it, it describes the mystery of the gospel. The mystery is not, by the way, the, go read Ephesians. The mystery is not that Jesus would die for sinners. The mystery was that Jews and Gentiles could become the part of one body. The mystery was different races, different backdrops, different religious experiences and ethnicities and cultures that they, would, that's the mystery. It's like, what? How interesting that 2,000 years later, the mystery has still yet to be fully unveiled. A few weeks, we're going to be preaching about diversity, but right now, suffice it to say that the diversity, not just racial or ethnic, but diversity of per I'm married to someone that's different than me. She's a woman. She's got a different personality than me. There are so many challenges to this unity that good marriages do not happen because there's a perfect fit. There is no perfect fit. When people say, I think I married the wrong person, we all married the wrong person. 
We're all the wrong person. The only right person is him, which is why reconciliation never comes without bypassing, by, bypassing the cross. Reconciliation, reconciliation only comes by going to the cross. This is why we worship first, eyes on Jesus, because when I look at Jesus, now I can look at you the right way, but until I look at him, I'm still upset at how you've scarred me, but when I look at him, I remember, wait, I scarred you massively. They scarred me big time, but nothing like how I scarred you. Wait, when I'm looking at your scars, now I can take my scars, and now I can unite with you. If you don't learn this, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna go join a microchurch and someone's gonna hurt you in microchurch and you're gonna say, hey, been there, tried that, done that, they let me down. You're gonna go try marriage and someone of the opposite sex is gonna hurt you, let you down, disappoint you. You're gonna go make a friend and someone's gonna talk about you, backbite, hurt you, and they're gonna scar you in some way and you're gonna forget that you were told by Jesus, if you wanna come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And yes, I'm the one that gets scarred for the people that I love. I'm not saying you stay in a house to get abused. If you're getting abused, in your house, ma'am, you come let us know. We will get you out of that house. I'm not saying stay in abusive situations by any means, but I am saying something's happened where we have forsaken the fellowship of the brothers because we've gotten so, so introspectively fragile that we're like, oh God, I will not take any of these scars. And he's saying, come follow me. That's the church, the worship community. And here's where it ends, on mission. Martin Luther King uh, and, and I get it that he's, he's often dumbed down now. People like to just quote him for, you know, they don't like to quote his, his edgy stuff. But he said this, I am many things to many people, but in the quiet recesses of my heart, I'm fundamentally a clergyman. I'm a Baptist preacher. This is my being and my heritage. I'm also the son of a Baptist preacher, the grandson of a Baptist preacher, and the great-grandson of a Baptist preacher. My favorite thing that he produced was the letter from a Birmingham jail. He said, dear fellow clergymen, while confined here in the Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement calling, for my, calling my present activities unwise and untimely. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all the criticisms, my secretaries would have little time for anything other than such correspondence. Next paragraph, he says, but more basically, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the prophets of the 8th century BC left their villages and carried their thus saith the Lord far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns, and just as the Apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, so am I compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my own hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. Dr. King was in Birmingham because injustice was there. And you and I are still on earth because unrighteousness and injustice are still here. The church is the worshiping community on mission. The Harvard Gazette was right about the black church. They said, no, no, it did have worship, but it was the community and the mission that it led to brought me to tears looking at some of the videos of the civil rights movement that wasn't being led just from the streets. It was being led from churches and you'd see the, the places packed and you, can, you could see the, the men of God getting up and speaking to God's people. Thus saith the Lord, speaking from the prophets of old. Yesterday was Rosa Parks' birthday. Born in 1913, 1918, something like that. What I love about Rosa Parks was her story was not just that she refused to give up her seat. 
Nine months before she refused to give up her seat, someone else refused to give up their seat. She chewed on that for nine straight months before, of course, she's on a bus and she's like, no, I'm not getting up. And she kind of launches part of this, this movement where she was on her mission. You see what happened? She was challenged to become fully her. When we think of Rosa Parks, we think of that because she was part of a community that challenged her. If you want to go change the world, you need to run with world changers. If you want to go worship the Lord, you need to go run with worshipers. You want to go turn the world upside down, you got to, turn, you got to be part of a community of people that say, we want to turn our world upside down. Greenhouse, we want to turn our world upside down. Can I get an amen? There's always a tendency to... to to hold back on this. I, I think of this call to mission and I think of Tony Evans, who was one of my first influences in ministry, who is spending the latter part of his life calling Christians to missions of kindness. This is what he's saying about mission now. He's like, guys, go do acts of kindness and when they ask you why you did that, tell them because Jesus sent me to do it. Church, We've got to go present this gospel and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus with great boldness. But I'm calling us as a body to be bold in our mission and to be kind in our mission. Amen. To be gentle and lowly and loving and bold and gentle and strong and gentle. Church, go. When's the last time that you proclaimed the resurrection not in a church space? I challenge us to go do it. One of the stories I love to tell is one of the preachers that I always loved was traveling from Maine. He was actually in Philadelphia, went out to Hawaii to go preach. And when he got there, there was a time difference and he was not tired. And so he went out to one of the greasy spoon diners and he goes into this diner and just sits down to order some food. He's like, it was just gross as can be. Just got a little donut, you know, guy with dirty fingernails throws the donut on there. And it's like 2.30 in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, whatever. He's just eating this, can't fall asleep. And a couple of, a couple of women that are working the streets walk themselves in and they kind of sit down and one of them says, well, you know what tomorrow is? And she goes, what's tomorrow? She says, tomorrow's my birthday. She says, well, what do you want me to do? Throw you a birthday party? She's like, no, I'm not asking to do anything. She's been out on the streets selling herself for years. She says, I'm not asking to do anything. You don't have to be mean about it. I'm just letting you know, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. She says, all right, great. They get up and they get a cup of coffee and they leave. Preacher was there and he looks at the guy behind the counter. He says, hey, do these ladies come in here often? He says, oh yeah, they come in here every night. They're here all the time. All, the, whole, the whole gang of them, they, they come in. He said, because I have an idea. Tomorrow night's her birthday and I was just wondering if we could maybe throw her a birthday party. He's like, you want to throw the hooker a birthday party? He said, yeah, I want to throw the hooker a birthday party. He said, and his wife kind of comes on. She said, you know what? It's not a bad idea. Why don't we go ahead and do it? Let's let him do it. He said, listen, I'll take care of everything. I'll, I'll, I'll pay for everything I'll do. I'll go get the cake. His wife says, you know, well, I'll get the streamers. And a couple of other people here, they get sort of excited about it. And so the next night, three o'clock rolls in and sure enough, her name is Agnes. She, she walks in and Comes in there with her friends, and right as she walks in, the whole place screams, surprise, happy.
happy birthday. And streamers and the balloons and the noisemakers. And they got a cake. And she just sits there. They said, Agnes, come, come get your cake. And they sing her happy birthday and they give her the cake. And she's just kind of sitting there. And they said, well, you got to blow out the candles. You got to make a wish. But she just kind of sits there. And so finally one of them blows out the candles and says, all right, Agnes, time to cut the cake. She said, wait, can I, can I just, just look at it for a second? I've never had a cake before. She says, could, could I just take this real quick? Could I just take this to go? I just want to go show my mom. She says, I'll be right back. They're like, well, I guess it's your birthday. You can do whatever you want. So she takes the cake and she leaves. And they're all just sitting there. What, what are you doing? A diner, greasy spoon diner at three o'clock in the morning. This guy said, well, he said he was a preacher. So he's like, what do, you, what do preachers do? He's like, well, why don't we pray? <laughs> and so they prayed for Agnes and kind of gets to the end, asked God to bless her. And one of them finally says, so, so you're a preacher. He says, yeah. What kind of church do you go to? He said, I go to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for hookers at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> to which they said, no, those don't exist. But if it did, I'd want to go there. In church, I want us to be the kind of people that because we've worshiped the living God and we've seen him, and because he's first, and because we know what this community can be, I want us throwing birthday parties for hookers at three o'clock in the morning and welcoming people that everyone else has forgotten and proclaiming a Jesus that we might get rejected for. Because this God is the one that when he saw a sinful man named Zacchaeus who had stolen and robbed God's people, he said, Zacchaeus, I need to come break bread with you today. And Zacchaeus is like, not me. And everyone else is like, not him. This guy's horrible and he's wicked and he's evil and he's unjust. And he says, Zacchaeus, I need to come to your house. And Jesus goes and has a meal with him. And after one meal, Zacchaeus, the guy that has stolen millions from people, stands up, not very tall, because he was a wee little man. And he says, Lord, look, everything I've stolen, I'm going to return it many times over, and I'm going to give to the poor. And Jesus says, truly salvation has come to this man's house. Salvation has come. This man's sinner prayer, sinner's prayer was not God come into my heart. His sinner's prayer was, Lord, I repent. I get what I've done wrong. What's interesting though, is he did not get shamed into his repentance. He got kindness into his repentance because Romans says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The church I want us to be is the God-centered, Jesus-obsessed, Holy Spirit-welcome, worshiping, authentic, accountable, raw, real, imperfect community on mission that's gonna do something about the world that needs him and needs us to come and bring the grace of God, to bring justice and righteousness and to let them know that there is a king who has paid for everything, gone on a cross, raised from the dead, and that needs to change you from the inside to the outside, to the poor, to the streets, to make no small disturbance from the crevices of your soul to the far reaches of our culture. That is the church I dream of.